I'm going to read this one section of the uh, chapter to just start our time out. Um, and it's Joshua 5, 13 to 15. It says this. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the, Lord, the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the chance to look at your word and chance to be challenged by it, encouraged by it this morning. We thank you for just getting to reflect slowly on the uh, story of Joshua and the people of Israel as they entered into uh, the land that you provided for them. And Lord, I pray that you would just guide and direct our hearts this morning, uh, encourage us with your truth and challenge us with it, that we might uh, love and serve you more this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, on a little bit of a point of review here, uh, where have we been the past few chapters, chapters 1 to 4? First of all, we saw the initial commissioning of Joshua. So God comes to Joshua and says, uh, be strong and courageous to him. And over and over again in chapter 1, he's saying, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And we reflect on the point that like, if you're Joshua and you're following in the footsteps of Moses, then it might be kind of a difficult transition to become the person that leads this huge group of people after Moses has led them out of, uh, out of Egypt. Um, and we know as much as Moses said over and over again, this is the Lord doing this, the Lord doing this, the Lord doing this through me over and over again, uh, that it would probably be hard in the flesh to step into that role. And so the Lord comes and says a word to Joshua that he needs. Son, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. I've chosen you. You're the one that is to, to lead this people into the land. The Lord encourages them with that. Um, next, we see the, the spies go into the land, and they go into the land to spy out Jericho and, and check it out. And, and there they find a woman named Rahab who is, uh, is in the corner wall doing a, doing a job that is not becoming. And, and the Lord has shown her who he is, and he reckon, she recognizes who the Lord is, and she declares this. These are Rahab's words. The Lord your God, he is God in heavens, in the heavens and on the earth below. This daughter who is among uh, this huge group of people that is about to be hit with the judgment of God's army, okay, recognizes God's hand in this people and says, I want to be with them. I choose to follow their Lord and their God. And she declares that uh, to the spies as she cares for them. Finally, chapter uh, 3 and 4, we saw the recounting of the walking through the, uh, the Jordan River. And we were challenged with these two things, to have faith in God's promises that are ahead of us. So have faith in what God has told us he is going to do. Look forward with faith that God is going to accomplish what he told us he's going to accomplish. Okay, as we're going into the river. And as we're coming out of the river, we're remembering what God has done. Look back, right? Look back and say, this is all the things that God has done, okay? He took us out of Egypt. He, well, uh, he provided for us through the entire wilderness. And now he's taken us through this Jordan River um, at its flood stage level into the, into the land that he has given us. And so remember what God has done in your life. Have faith in what he has told you to do and remember what he has done. 
So this uh, powerful uh, start of this book is, is one that is not, has totally been noticed by everyone around. We see in, in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1, that as soon as the kings of the land in, uh, in, in the west of the Jordan see that the people had crossed the Jordan, their hearts melt, is what it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. There's no longer any spirit in them because the people of Israel... Remember, they're, they're there in Jericho hearing about the people of Israel coming up to their land and wondering, okay, they've been wandering around for 40 years. Are they just going to turn around again, like do a loop back there in the wilderness, right? They don't know. But they do know that this group has defeated two powerful kings east of the Jordan, now taken their land. So they are, you know, in fear and trembling at this point in some ways. But they think, okay, they can't get over the Jordan River. It's at flood stage, like no big deal. We probably have months before they're able to get their millions of people across this river. Except that now, as we just read, God dries up the river and they walk across in a day. Okay, So not only are you now afraid of this people that has conquered some kings in your land, now that people is at your doorstep. Uh, you thought maybe you had months to prepare and they walk right across. And so, yeah, there is no spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Their hearts are melted and so this week we're looking at, you know, obviously the natural thing that you would do when you're, you've got your enemies in fear and cowering and, and ready to give up, uh, you have a circumcision ceremony and, and celebrate Passover, right? Like, this is obviously the next step, right, that you would do if you've got your enemies on the run and they're fearing you and wondering when you're going to take them over, you stop and have a ceremony. No. Right? So this, this entire nation actually stops here in chapter 5, and we see a couple of things happen. We, we see first the whole nation of men uh, who had come out and not been circumcised get circumcised. And then, in addition to that, we see them celebrating the Passover. And so uh, chapter 5, verses, uh, verses 2 to 9, we see this uh, commanding of the Lord to Joshua that he circumcised the entire uh, entirety of the people says, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel for a second time. So Joshua did so uh, in Joshua 5, 2, and 3. Um, in Joshua chapter 5, verse 4 and 7, um, it's, it's a bit convoluted, but these, the entirety of these four verses is just over and over saying that this whole group of people did not get circumcised the entire time that they were in the wilderness. Um, nobody from this group of people that has been wandering in the wilderness. None of the men had been, uh, had been circumcised during this time. And so uh, Joshua 5, verse 4 to 7. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people came uh, out of Egypt, or though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who had been born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the Lord, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, the land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So we see this whole generation is not following this command. And, um, you know, it seems kind of an odd 
thing again, like you've come across this, you're about to take over land, now you stop and say, okay, Lord tells Joshua, go ahead and circumcise all the men that hadn't been, hadn't been done. So um, it's not a small point. Um, you know, we think of it as this ceremony and like, okay, this, here's this religious ritual, but let's just think about the purpose and the intention of the, this, this symbol itself. This generation that left Egypt never passed on this right to their sons. Like, they, they had a responsibility, household to household, to circumcise their, their sons, to carry on this command that was given, not just to Moses, but to Abraham it was given. And, and for 40 years, they just didn't do it. Um, I was reading one commentator on this, and he said that this is at best negligence and at worst a defiant act of disobedience from an entire generation. I would not be surprised if it's a defiant act of disobedience from an entire generation. Why do I say that? I mean, remember the words of Deuteronomy as, as Moses is delivering them right before they get to cross the land, right? I mean, he's like, you guys are messed up. Uh, this song that I'm about to sing is a witness against you. This law is a witness against you. Your own behavior is a witness. Like, the heavens and earth testify that you guys have messed up, and you keep messing up. And so, like, I would not be surprised if literally they just have continued in bitter defiance unto the Lord's commands to them. They reject the land when they first get there, and then they wander in the desert for 40 years, and it says not a one of their children is circumcised. It's a significant omission. Listen from Genesis 17, 10 to 14 about the purpose and, and the meaning of, or the, the giving of it. Genesis uh, 17, is that coming up? Or is it? It's on what? Oh, weird. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Okay, don't worry about it. No worries. Um, we've got the wrong notes in there, so there we go. Um, so Genesis 17, 10 to 14, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, that is between God and Abraham. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money or a foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your, bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. An uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This was to be a sign, right? Of, of, so God comes to Abraham and gives him this covenant that, hey, I'm going to give you this land, okay? I'm going to give you a a, a, a uh, descendants that outnumber the sun, uh, the sand and the stars. I'm going to give you all these things. And to be assigned to that covenant, he gives them the sign of circumcision. He says, in obedience, this is what you're to do. We see again the significance of this when Moses is going back to the people of Egypt to go and, uh, and draw them out as the Lord has called him. And the Lord actually was about to kill Moses because he hadn't followed this command. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26, the Lord shows up to Moses on his way to Egypt and says, I'm about to kill you because you haven't followed my command. I'm about to cut you off. You're my only people. I'm about to cut you off. 
this was a very personal, individual, household commitment to having faith in the Lord's covenant over you. And none of this generation, none of these households partook in it. So the Lord comes to Joshua and says, okay, you've entered the land. This is a new generation. We're going to have a ceremony here. You're going to commit yourselves unto me. And all of you, regardless of your age, unfortunately, um, you're going to be circumcised and take on the covenant that I have given you, that I'm the one that is doing this, that I'm the one that is fulfilling my covenant with Abraham, that I would give this land to him. And so they stop before they do anything else when they get in the land. They set themselves apart, household by household, male by male, throughout the entirety of the land. At the conclusion of this ceremony, the Lord comes to Joshua and says this, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place will be called Gilgal unto this day. That reproach being that for 40 years they wandered in the desert. I mean, think about that. This nation leaves, uh, leaves Egypt, and now they're just stuck wandering in the desert. Egypt is going, like, you guys are nomads now. Like, you have no land. You're just wandering around. Where is your God that's going to take you to this land, right? They might be casting doubt upon them. And so now the Lord has said, I have fulfilled what I promised to do. The reproach of Egypt is now gone from you. The desire even to go back is now gone for you. You are now in the land that I have given you. So they celebrate this uh, ceremony of circumcision. And then next in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, we see them stop and celebrate also the Passover. Chapter 5, verse 10 to 12 says this, While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the, uh, ceased, the day after the, the, ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan in that year. So again, what, what do you do before you take over Jericho? Of course, like stop and celebrate this Passover. What we're seeing throughout this passage and we'll continue to see is that there's a recognition here that the battle that they're taking on is not just about the land. This is not just about taking over land. This is about following the Lord. This is about a spiritual battle that is happening. They're getting themselves right before what the Lord is doing, not before what they are doing. And so the Passover is this remembrance of how the Lord, how did they even become a people? The Lord saved them out of Egypt, took them out and established them as a nation, and this Passover is a corporate sign of allegiance to what God has done. They're saying our firstborns would have also died had we not sacrificed the lamb that you provided for us. There's a bit of a, a question mark that I've got in my mind about Passover because we, we kind of talked about it on Thursday. I mean, I'm wondering if they even celebrated Passover during this 40 years. There's only one time that it's recorded, and that's one year after they got into the land. So they, they celebrate Passover in Egypt. Obviously, 
you know, they experienced Passover, really they didn't celebrate, they experienced the Passover where God passed over their children, and they celebrated it, it records one time in Numbers chapter 9 that they, they celebrated the Passover one year after they'd left. That was the day that they were, they were still in Sinai, they hadn't left Sinai to try and go into the land yet. There's no other record of them celebrating the Passover during the wilderness time. I think it's a question mark whether they did. I mean, if they've hardened their hearts so much that no household even circumcised their kids, why would they be even celebrating corporately this Passover and what God has done for them? So there, there's kind of a debate on whether that is or isn't, but there is no record that you can point to of them celebrating during those 40 years. There's just the one year after they got into, the, into, uh, into Sinai, and then that is it. So now you can see that this is a reestablishing, a reaffirming of what God has done and who God is, and that this generation is setting themselves apart, both individually and corporately, saying, you are a God and we will follow you. We believe you and we trust you. That would probably be, I mean, just step back and think about, like, just the logistics of all that and how big that is, right? I mean, there's the explanation of it, right? Circumcision, Passover. Okay, think about millions. Again, you got two million people maybe going through this process. And just like the coordination of all of that. Like this would have been a big ordeal, right? And maybe at that point after you've done those two things, you go, okay, everyone is set apart individually and we've set apart ourselves corporately and here we are and we're ready to go to Jericho. We're ready to go in and take this land. Maybe you felt like you were ready. Maybe Joshua even felt like, okay, we've done the things, we're ready to go. We are ready to take the land, right? Once you've done the things you're supposed to do, you're like, okay, we are, we are ready to do this now. I'm ready. I've been prepared. I am ready to go do this thing God has called me to do. And so we come to verse 13. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. So Jericho, he's, he's gone. Okay, Joshua is going to Jericho. Like maybe he's assessing the walls, like he's taking a look at Jericho. He's alone, most likely. Okay, Joshua's going to take a look at this city that I'm supposed to take over next. Looking at the city on his own. Okay, we're ready. I've got the people ready. They're all ready. We are ready to do this. He lifts up his eyes, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. That would be a little intimidating, especially given the fact that we know this is some sort of angelic figure at the least. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? He doesn't know. I mean, the guy has his drawn sword, so he's ready to you know, take someone down at this point. So he says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And the answer from this man is uh, so great. No. <laughs> are you for us or are you for adversaries? No. What? Like, I thought it was a pretty straightforward question. Like, are you going to kill me or are you going to kill them? No. No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And at that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? 
And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I think Joshua might have thought he was ready. <laughs> he needed one more thing. He needed to know that this is not his battle. This is not his fight. God hasn't prepared him to battle in his own strength. God has prepared him to come alongside what God is doing and let God fight this battle. Are you for us or against us? No, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. So we've got a few questions to ask of this commander of the Lord's army. First, who is he? I don't, I'm just going to go out and say, I don't know for certain who he is. I won't give you 100%. This is for sure what I think he is. I'm going to give you who I think he is, but there's conversation about this to be had. First, it says he's the commander of the army of the Lord. So he commands the armies of the Lord. He's not God, but an angel. And I think this is because Joshua, the way he addresses him, he says this. What does my Lord say to his servant? Okay, so he is in submission to this guy who is more powerful than him. And he's asking, okay, what do you want me to do, Lord? But the Lord he uses is not like the formal Lord, our God, Lord. This is just subjecting myself to someone in greater authority than myself. A standard use of Lord, right? The word it says in our, in our English translation says, uh, he falls down and worships him. It's a matter of submission rather than uh, a worship of God. So all the language that is used is actually reflecting more to us that he is submitting to a, a being that is more powerful than him. And so I'll submit that he's more of an angel of the Lord or, uh, or some sort of angelic figure that God has used to command his angel armies in some way. There's some question throughout Scripture of if, if Christ is showing up in Old Testament in some of these situations, if God is manifesting himself to this person and and I don't see that just here yet, but it doesn't mean it's just as powerful as it is. This man, this commander of the armies of the Lord, is not for Joshua, and not for Israel, and not against Jericho, and not for Jericho. He is for the Lord, period. So you have to step back. Like, uh, why does he ask this? Why does he answer the question no about Joshua's allegiance? The Lord's army is not for a nation. The Lord's army is for his people. I mean, let's think about this. The Lord, his, the, this, this commander of the Lord's army, guess who he's for? He's for Rahab and her family. That's not Israel. That's a citizen of Jericho. And, I mean, are there not uh, many of Israel who have been defiant to the Lord? Will they continue in defiance to them? So am I for Israel or for, for Jericho? No, I'm for the Lord. What you need to know is that you need to be in submission to the Lord. Regardless of what flag that you're flying, the Lord is your Lord. And so he says, no, I'm not for you, and I'm not for them. I'm for the Lord. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. So he says, then, what do you want me to do? <laughs> if you're not for us, or you're not against us, you're telling me no. He says, I want you to worship. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. This is God's land. 
Okay? I'm not for the people that are in it. I'm not for the people that are coming to it. I'm for the Lord and the Lord only. It challenges us, right, to know who's fighting, who we're fighting with. So what does this mean for us? Um, how do we take these ceremonies of, of circumcision and Passover and, and war and apply them forward to our time? First of all, I, was, I thought it was interesting to discover with circumcision that it's an individual household celebration. I mean, th- you don't really think about that. I mean, always think about it as corporate because it happens corporately in a couple of occasions. But the truth is it was given to Abraham and his family. And it was to be passed on to families. This is an individual's response, a household response. We will serve the Lord. My family, as for my family, we will serve the Lord. It's an individual commitment. And so what is it like? It's like baptism. It's similar to that. I always wondered if that connection was there, like in the, in the two kind of ceremonies, but I think it very much is. Here's one situation where individually I am celebrating that I have allegiance to the Lord, whether my country does or my country doesn't. I am allegiancing myself to the Lord. Same is true with baptism. It's an individual commitment to set apart your life in allegiance to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so we see in Colossians 2, 6 to 15, um, sorry, there's a long section, but it, it just all swells together. So um, we see these two concepts uh, put together. Colossians 2, 6 to 15. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised also with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Baptism is this declaration of allegiance as an individual to say, I give my life to the Lord Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior, and I trust him as a person I'm saying that he's the only one that can take me from death unto life. Just as circumcision was a saying of, yeah, I believe that God is going to take this old 99-year-old man and produce many nations out of it. That's what it was. That's when he received the circumcision covenant. It was at 99, Abraham was. It's okay, circumcise your household. What? Do you believe me? Do you trust me? In the same way, we're trusting in Christ and what he has done for us individually in baptism. Second, communion. What is this but a corporate celebration of what Jesus has done? I mean, do you take communion at your house alone? We never take it alone. I mean, you're always with the body of believers. It is a communal celebration of what Jesus has done. 
It is the transfer of the true Passover unto us. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you think of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a corporate symbol for us as believers to proclaim this is the thing that we're celebrating. This is the thing that has made it possible for us to come to the Lord in prayer, to be able to preach and proclaim his truth and majesty, be able to sing his praises. It is communion. We're saying we have found our body of believers because of the blood of Jesus spilt out for us. Without it, we are not even here. Without it, this is totally purposeless, right? And so it's a corporate allegiance. It's saying we will serve the Lord who has given his blood, given his body for us. This is what we proclaim. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Just as Passover was the celebration of what God had done in drawing out the people of Egypt, so communion is the celebration as a body of what Jesus has done and to proclaim that to the world as we gather. So finally, who, who's your commander? Are you commanding your life? Or are you fighting with the Lord? If you've set, us, set aside yourself to follow him as an individual, and if you've set aside yourself to, to be in his body of believers and fight along, alongside your brothers and sisters um, and, and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes with them, then who is fighting for you? Is it your organization that's fighting that you're fighting for? That your church, you know, 51C3, is that what we're fighting for? You know? Are we fighting for, for our, uh, our own, in our own strength for what we think God has called us to do? No. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So too, even more so now, the battle we face is a spiritual one. Jesus said it as well in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who can kill the body but can, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. In hell. It's so easy to, you know, okay, yeah, I'm baptized, I'm, I'm in communion with uh, a body of believers, and then for the next six days, right, of the week, just follow our own thing and add on Jesus at the end. Just tack him on. No, he's the whole thing. He's the whole point, right? Your job that he's given you, he's given you with purpose, that you would be there, that the people around you would look to you and, and that they would call on the name of the Lord and see where your hope lies as you go through trial and struggle. He's given us each, and we've talked about this a number of times, he's given us each a Jericho, right? 
We're all going to a Jericho. We're all going to a land that God has called us to in an individual sense as well as a corporate sense. But if we get lost fighting for our own thing or our own uh, desires, we miss what God is doing. Even as he calls us to accomplish us, and, and even, even as he equips us and, and gives us specific talents for the thing he's called us to do and given us a specific timing for the thing that we're called to do, it is still his fight. I mean, remember this people of Joshua again, and uh, sorry to belabor it, but like, here they are. They, they've, they've crossed over the river. Okay, now we've done this huge millions of people circumcision uh, ceremony, and, and now we've set apart for Passover to, to exalt what God has done. Okay, we're ready to go do this. Like, no, you're not ready because you still think it's about you. You have to have an angelic figure come and tell you, hey, by the way, this is my fight, not your fight. They probably still thought they were going to like go into the doors of the, of the wall and like go fight everybody that way. They probably had no idea. They didn't have any idea yet that the Lord was just going to rip the walls down. So I challenge us um, with these three things. First, surrender yourself to the Lord. Surrender yourself to the Lord, right? It was important then, uh, it's important now, to surrender yourself to the Lord. Come to find Jesus as the one who can cancel the debt that stands against you and nail it to the cross. Trust him. You can't do it by your own efforts, you can't do it by your own strength, you're not going to become righteous enough. Surrender yourself to the Lord. And, you know, y'all, I know you all follow Jesus. Most of you know, you know the Lord in this way. And so I know I'm preaching the choir in that way, but respect. But I've got to remember that myself, right? We've got to preach this gospel to myself. Am I now reverting to stacking up righteous deeds? Might never be so. May I always trust in the gospel that Christ has done this on my behalf, not me earning some righteousness. Surrender yourself to the Lord. And with that, I think, especially to those who are parents, right, in the room, like, God has called us to pass this on. Surrender yourself, but surrender your household to the Lord. This generation that was rejected from the land because of the disobedience continued in defiance to the Lord. Instead of repentance continued in defiance and did not pass on the very basic ceremony of circumcision. And th that was not even a decision they had to, like, raise their kid up into. At eight days old, they were supposed to do this. That's, like, that's it, you know? And you did not commit your household to this. So submit yourself to the Lord and submit your household to the Lord. Second, let us surrender ourselves to the Lord. As a body of believers, we're obviously going through a lot of transition and change right now. Let's not do this in our own strength. Let's surrender ourselves to the Lord. Let's corporately ask God, how do you want to do this, God? How do you want to lead this next step of what Restoration Church is? 
We have to surrender ourselves to the Lord. Finally, after we've done that, after we surrender ourselves to the Lord and, and surrendered our church to the Lord, let us go forward and fight, not trusting our own strength, because our own strength is not enough. I mean, the spies, when they went in the land the first time, right, they recognized the circumstances. We aren't enough for them. Their cities are fortified, and they are bigger, Right? The circumstances are not in our favor on, the, on paper. They don't stack up right, okay? It doesn't make sense on paper. But you could be emboldened by this idea that, oh, well, I'm surrendered to the Lord, and our church is surrendered to the Lord, and so, so we are ready to go do this thing. And God's saying, no. You're not if you think you're doing it, because I'm the one doing it. So let us fight as the Lord has provided, as he has equipped, as he has sustained, as he has protected. Let us fight, not in our own strength, but ever dependent upon the Lord's army going forward, not ours. We're weak. We don't stack up on paper against what God has called us to do. Sorry, we don't. We're great. This is a great group of people. But we don't stack up to what God has called us to do. We can't do it in our strength. We will fail. God is calling us to not trust our strength, but to trust his strength. And so at any step along the way, we have to have that mindset. And I'll challenge you with that because, you know, our church, you know, maybe you can see that on numbers, you know, in a numbers standpoint right now. Oh, yeah, you are very small, blah, blah, blah. It's not even about a numbers thing. Every church has to have this disposition, okay? You can look around the landscape of American Christianity today and see monstrously big churches failing in their leadership because this is not happening. They aren't fighting in the Lord's strength. They have trusted in their own strength, and that has been the downfall of many a man and many a ministry. And it's been, honestly, it's been really hard to watch over my time following leaders in Christendom. I don't know about you guys, but like, it is heart-wrenching to look at someone you've respected for a long, long time and go, wow, they were trusting in their own. Unfortunately, I don't even have to name them because you all know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so many. And what is the downfall? We're not surrendering to the Lord. Our body as a whole isn't surrendering to the Lord. And ultimately, I'm trying to do this in my strength, and I will fail. And so before Joshua and the people of Israel go and take Jericho, the Lord humbles them. He humbles them. And they, thankfully, are also humbled and partake in this ceremony of circumcision, setting aside this time to rest and recover and also uh, 
you know, prepare this Passover and celebrate what God has done. And Joshua even himself is humbled again to say, this isn't your fight, buddy. This is my fight. Follow me. I've got this. You're equipped and you're ready. Be strong and courageous to what I'm going to call you to do. But remember, this is my fight, not yours. I'm the one bringing the hand of judgment upon the people of Canaan, not you. I'm using you as, a, as an instrument to do this. This is my fight. Let's surrender to the Lord and let's, let's fight his battle, fight with him in his battle, not fight our own battles and add him on. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful um, that you care for us so much, that you care for our individual circumstance. Each of us are facing something different and a challenge that is unique, and you care about that. At an individual, personal level, you care. And your call to us is to submit our households and our persons to you. God, to turn to you and say, you are good and you are faithful and your promises are always true. And so I trust in you, you are Lord, you are God of heaven and, and of earth. Let us be like Rahab and recognize your power and your authority as individuals. And God, help us as a church to have eyes open to see the plans that you have for us. God, you have plans that are greater than we could ever think or imagine. Your plans for us are bigger and better and harder than we could ever imagine. And so God, help us not to do this on our own strength and fall short of what you have called us to do and accomplish. Help us rather submit to you. And Lord, as we go forward corporately and individually, help us not fight in our own strength. Help us not as individuals stuff up our emotions and just keep it in and not fight. Help us battle as you would battle for us. Help us clear out all that needs to be cleared out that we might follow you and trust you fully, 100%. And as a church, God, help us not. Help us not fight in our own strength, but rather in yours. God, you're so good. We trust you. We thank you that you have declared victory in Christ Jesus. It is finished. All these things that we are facing, you have defeated. And so God, help us stand in what you have accomplished already. We might have faith to see that you will accomplish all that you promise us. You will do. We trust you, God. We want to follow you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we're going to transition to a time of prayer. We're going to be praying for a couple of things uh, this Sunday to uh, one country and, and a church. Um, we're going to be praying this week. It's obviously still related to praying for Ukraine and the conflict between Ukraine and Russia right now. 
but there's millions now of refugees that have left Ukraine to seek safety under this uh, time. And so one of the countries that's been heavily affected by that is Poland. I was going to be praying for Poland this morning. Um, it's a bit on my heart because uh, uh, one of my coworkers actually works in Warsaw. Uh, and so I conversed with him pretty much weekly uh, on a weekly basis doing accounting work and such. And, um, you know, they're, they're seeing effects of it. So just prayer for, um, prayer for them as they receive refugees, you know, as they try and uh, help and, and support those who are under uh, physical attack right now. So we've been praying for Poland uh, and the church in Poland. We also, the church that supports us, one of the churches that support us from Oklahoma, the pastor's son there is a church planter in, uh, I don't remember the city, but it is a Polish city. Um, I don't think it's Warsaw, but I don't know which city it is. So um, you can be praying for him. I believe it's Matt uh, Johnson. Um, so be praying for the churches there in Poland as well. Um, we're also going to be praying this morning for Journey Community Church of Safety Harbor. Uh, it's led by Jay Diedrichson. They meet at the Sheriff's Youth Ranch over there. Um, so you can pray for him um, and pray for their church as they continue to seek and follow after God uh, with their lives. So pray for those two things and then pray for each other as well. So if you want to break up into maybe it looks like probably two groups of three or four, we'll pray and 